Hey, everyone. Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Talking to Paul Jarvis this week for episode number 37, one of my favorite writers and podcasters out there. Before I jump into the show with Paul, I wanted to make the announcement again that I've written a podcast marketing tip sheet for how to launch your podcast in 2015 and beyond. It's for anyone curious about starting a podcast, curious about the medium itself, or have a show idea and want to form your thoughts around it. And it's a guidebook I wish I had when I started. It's free. It's uh, ryaninfluencereconomy.com, which is my email if you're curious about it. would love to give this to as many people as possible and excited to share my knowledge that I've gained creating the podcast. Uh, we're now up to episode 37, so I'm excited about that. So ryaninfluencereconomy.com is the email. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at Ryan J. Will. And without further ado, Paul Jarvis. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show this week. Really excited to have Paul Jarvis on the show. Welcome, Paul. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? It is good. How about you? Uh, things are great. And uh, excited to have you on because uh, you're an author who I read. Your book, Everything You Know, is a, is a great resource just as far as like your perspective in business and life balance as well and how to keep doing stuff you like and getting paid for it. Also, liked your book, uh, I think it's just Launch Your Damn Book. Write and Sell Your Damn Book. Write and Sell the Damn Book, <laughs> which I read actually and it kicked me in the pants to finish my first book. Yes. I think that may even be in the sales copy, like the kick in the pants you need to write your book. Yeah, it totally. And it helped <laughs> me to just motivate and figure out, like it's tactical as well, like telling you how to make landing pages and actually market your book. But just the, the overall writer's dilemma that you have, like, oh, it's hard. I don't know what to say. I'm not a good writer. When really it's just like cranking out content. Mm-hmm. So that was a great resource for me. You're also, a, you have online courses that you teach. Just getting into what you do, it's like, how, how do you actually describe it to people? Because you have a job, you're a web designer, and you have yeah. your own successful business that you talk about throughout all your writing. and Oh, and you're a podcast host as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't, for, can't forget about that. So if I'm forgetting anything, just keep peppering it in later. No, I think that's about it. I write books, make courses, have a podcast, and then, yeah, I've owned a web. De- I've been like a freelance web designer and consultant for like 16, 17 years now. So I do lots of stuff. And that's your core business? <laughs> um, well, it used to be. Now the writing and the courses, is it's about 50-50. Okay. Yeah. And so were you always interested in side projects and doing stuff beyond just web design? Yeah, it's just recently they've started to pay off. Well, I guess in the beginning they paid off too. I started a couple like online apps that I eventually sold because they didn't want to be in that game. But yeah, lately the writing, like I started writing, I guess two and a bit years ago, and it kind of worked out so far. So I'm kind of <laughs> I'm keeping at it, I guess. And uh, when did the podcasting start? Um, we're in season two, so I guess middle of last year. We started, myself and Jason Zook, who used to be Jason Surfer App, who used to be Jason Headsets, who used to be Jason Sadler. Him and I have a podcast called Invisible Office Hours. And so, yeah, Jason's like, essentially sells his last name for... Yeah, he's done now, but he did for quite a Oh, he's back to his original... He's like... Well, this is his grandfather's last name. Okay. Yeah. And so, he's your, your, your partner on the show... Exactly. He's the brains of the operation. Now, what, what's your role? <laughs> I, th- I was going to say the looks, but... Well, I'm, I'm Skyping with you visually right now. No comment. Totally, <laughs> totally joking. But it's funny because I talk to a lot of people and they say 
you never want to be a jack of all trades, master of nothing. Mm-hmm. But you seem to have found like a focused a focused voice that's consistent across your platforms that you you work on. And yeah, uh, I think the difference there is though that I am I, the message is always the same though. Whether I'm designing a website or writing a book or writing a course or writing an article, I always have the same stuff to say. I'm just use or um, even the podcast. I'm just using tons of different ways to. I'm just basically repurposing content. I'm a lazy creator. Yeah. So I just use that same idea across like as many mediums as possible. Yeah, I like the lazy aspect of it. <laughs> but you, you, you're finding new ways to express yourself. It's not like yeah. you're changing your philosophy. Nope. And how, uh, how would you describe the, the general content that you repurpose? I, I guess and it kind of comes back to what you said in the beginning. I'm kind of like the kick in the butt for creative people to get either their ideas from idea to execution or to stand up for themselves to make the money that they should be making based on the skills that they have. And really just like I have made a living off of being creative when in the beginning, like guidance counselors and people that don't really know what they're talking about, sorry, guidance counselors, are like you can't make a living off of art. You're smart. Go to school for math and science. And then I did and then I quit. I was just like, I just wanted to do art. So I just want to help people get to that place. Like if they're doing something that they love and if they're doing something with their creativity, then dude, they should just, they should be doing that and they should find the tools that they need to do that. And they should find the ways to make a living. Cause a lot of artists have trouble with uh, like making a living aspect of it, even though they're great at what they do and what the, what they make with their art. It's just the other, like the businessy stuff. Like it took me so long to learn all that. Like I, I made so many mistakes when I was starting out with the, the business side of things. You're talking about as a web designer? Yeah. And so then, what, was there like a moment where you felt like you'd reached this point where you had, you know, failed or had struggles enough that you could articulate the message to other people? Yeah. And I think it was probably, I kind of like held myself back from doing that for longer than I should have. I probably should have started writing and doing these sorts of things years ago instead of like two and a half years ago. But I just kind of like got in my people say, yeah, I got in my head. They should have been doing this years before they actually did it. Exactly. Cause like I invented the internet so long ago. Yeah. You and, and Tim, it's been, was it you and Tim Berners-Lee or just you and you gave the idea to him? Well, Al, Al Gore likes to take credit for it. Too, right? But right. It's, it's just a joke. I love your movie, <laughs> The Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. Thank you. That was, was your, good. you were a ghost director of that as well. Yeah. You, you can't see the Prius and the solar panels parked on the other side of the street. <laughs> right. And yet failed bid at a president. I'm sorry about that. Exactly. I'm not even American. So it was never going to work. The yet. prime minister role. <laughs> yeah, so you, uh, after you vetted the internet, you sort of realized that there was a time and a place for people like you. Because you, you couldn't have existed, you know, actually like 20 years ago, 15, even maybe even 10 years ago, you know, because mm-hmm. your business was online, but there weren't the, really the, the mediums for you to reach people. Yeah, it's interesting how the internet has kind of shifted, like the technology has changed a little bit, but not like the, all of the stuff still exists. But I think the way that people, I think people are more interested in this sort of like micro learning thing now where you don't necessarily have to go to an actual university or school for some of the stuff that we do. You can take like an online course or read some books or that sort of thing. And that's, 
how a lot of people that I know end up learning the skills that they have when they do like web design or marketing or that sort of thing. They kind of, you can obviously go to school for these things and I know lots of people that do, but you can, there's the option to learn these like on Treehouse or Skillshare or basically however you learn the best, there's a way that you can now learn these skills. So is, uh, what, what do you, you call yourself a, a teacher or? No. I know you're just a dude. Exactly. Uh, and uh, in a room making stuff. And, but how do you articulate it? Because, you know, I think that education in general, like you go to college and you get trained. And in younger people now, especially, they get out and they don't know what to do. And the, the course load they studied in philosophy or English as a major isn't applicable. And yeah. You, you know, we're who this, knew? Who knew? Surprisingly, <laughs> like learning French, like an expert living in the U.S. Uh, doesn't get you anywhere. But now you're getting a lot of like online learning. You can really search for stuff and find out, you know, what you're good at or what you're into a lot more quickly. It's like self-actualization happens now a lot faster. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. And sometimes it happens too fast and then people think that they're experts after spending like a week learning something. And that's not always it's not always the case. But it's still the 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 material now is there and available for people in how whatever they want to learn. It's like when I was in school, and this was back in the '90s. Like when I was in university, like we had to take classes. Where, where was this? Uh, in Toronto. Okay. And I was in um, computer science with a specialist in artificial intelligence, and I had to take things like sociology and philosophy and psychology, and it was all these like I didn't want. I I wish I had taken those classes now. To me now, those are the more interesting things than the like AI stuff. But it was like I had to because it was, and even in high school you have to take all these classes that it's like eh, I don't even know if I want to, but now it's just like if you want to learn something you just take a class in that right and learn it. And so, what's the category that you have stuff that people can learn? Uh, I don't even. I mean, know. I know the kick in the path, the kick in the pants genre is up and coming. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean that really is a great way to describe it. Like it's Harvard Business Review. <laughs> I think. Would probably, I bet they would actually be interested in writing that article because they could be like, oh, we're on the cutting edge. The kick exactly. in the pants teacher. It's a, it's a, a, paradi- a paradigm shift involving boots and pants. <laughs> right. And a, a, and, a, and a boot mark on your back. Exactly. Are you able to really articulate it? I'm, cur- I'm just curious because I think it's interesting that you know your books are really easy to digest. You swear. And I then do. you talk about that you swear. Because you want to embrace your personality and being yourself. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, and I think it's funny because people, the same thing that I looked up to and the people that I learned from was the fact that they let their personalities, whatever those personalities were, shine through in what they do. And that's something that we respect and we like, but we have trouble emulating Right. So if if I'm like, okay, well, Richard Branson, I don't even, he's not an idol of mine, but like he has a very strong personality, Steve Jobs, like it doesn't matter, like pick a, pick somebody who is like a recognized leader and they have a strong personality that they don't care the, the amount of fucks that they give. I'm sorry if there's no swearing on your podcast. Yeah, we'll make this E. (laughs) It's basically zero about how they come across. They come across as themselves. And then when other people start to think about that, it's like, well, I'm scared to do that. Like, what if people don't like me if I do that? But I like all these other people who do this. Right. Right. So, and I mean, the amount of fucks that I give is like, it's not zero, but it's like approaching zero. Like I still care. I still get pissed off when I get criticism and that. But what I've ultimately found is that I would rather be criticized for who I am 
than who I'm not. Because if I'm getting, because I, I find I get shit on for whatever I do, right? So I would rather get shit on for doing what I believe in in the way that I believe in doing it than, in, than for anything else, right? And it's hard to do. Like, I fully admit that it's hard to do. I, sit, I get frustrated and pissed off about it. But I think it's something, it's a weird, like, cognitive disconnect that people like and they respect when others do it, but they have a hard time emulating it in so much as they can't be themselves because they're afraid to be themselves. One thing you talked about was being yourself and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really critical. I think in startups, especially, people lack sometimes a self-awareness and they you know, raise a lot of money or they do these things that they think are really big and massive and have this narrative that they want to be the next Zuck, whatever that even means. <laughs> I don't even, I, who calls them that to begin with? I don't, but yeah, but that's what they envision, you know, the Silicon Valley technology expert, you know, narrative, but yeah. really it's like the vulnerability is what leadership comes from and, you know, showing that you're human and that you make mistakes and you're fallible. Yeah, and that's what people, like when people talk to me about what they like about my writing and my voice in what I make, it's that. It's not like, I don't use fancy words. I don't have, like, the way that I come across is approachable on purpose because that's the way I am. I might be a bit of a dick, but, like, I'm an approachable dick. So, yeah. But people like that, and people are like, well, how can I bring that into what I do? Or I'm scared to do that. I'm scared of, like, putting people off because of who I am. And it's like... Those people, and I've written about this before, and I kind of framed it in the context of rat people. Like, I have my rat people. The rat people are my audience who understand it. They know that I have rats as pets. They maybe not necessarily like the rats specifically, but they understand that they're, it's possible to have them as pets. But in a bigger sense, it's possible for people to like the way that I come across and what I have to say in the way that I say it. And the people that aren't those rat people don't understand it or may dislike me, but they're not like they're not going to buy a book. They're not going to pay for my courses. They're not going to do anything to support me. So I'd have no reason to support them or speak to them in the way that I come across. So it's like take it or you know love it or leave me. Exactly. You know you're either gonna you're not gonna be friends with everyone or connect with the world, but if you can find the people that are interested in what you do. Mm-hmm. And so you you have a very interesting community because your your email list is is that weekly, yes. And is that more? I know you love to write, but is that practice as well as just trying to reach people and get your ideas out, like trying to hone your writing? Um, yeah, and that's initially what it started as was I needed to make sure that I was practicing writing and that I was practicing consistently because consistency I think is key because I think that is really where skill can be built with creativity. The more you practice something the better you're going to get. It's not like I can't just pick up a paintbrush and be like, I'm fucking Picasso. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. So, and it was the same with writing. Like I started writing and I wasn't very good at it. I still don't even think I'm that great at it, but I'm getting better at it but because I, think I you write. Embrace your, Cause you embrace your personality though. It's okay if you're not perfect. Cause you're like, exactly. like I'm not reading this to like get, you know, inspiration from a Shakespearean quote about something like hover through the filthy air. And you know, this isn't, you know, reading Macbeth. Exactly. But I still do get lots of emails if there are spelling mistakes, but I do have an editor and a copy editor that go through. Fire them. (laughs) Exactly. Don't give them a a raise, obviously. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, and you wrote a really good article or a a, a email newsletter post about your uh, trip through the Himalayas, 
not using the social media and you went dark recently. Mm-hmm. Can, uh, can you explain that a little bit more? Because I'd emailed you to come on the podcast and you actually did respond. So you weren't completely mm-hmm. dark. And you said, hey, uh, hit me up, you know, in the new year because I'm off everything. Yeah, so I didn't take a break from email. I just took a break from writing my newsletter, which is every Sunday. And what's and that being, called? Uh, the Sunday Dispatches, Okay. which oddly enough happens every Sunday morning. Is it named after the band Dispatch? No, it is not. I don't even know that. Like I don't a, even know this band. They're a pop college band from like the early 2000s. I totally don't think it was ever <laughs> named after. <laughs> if you have rats, you probably don't like Dispatch. All right, there you go. <laughs> I'm, not the, I'm not their rat people, so it's all right. <laughs> the rat people. <laughs> So I don't even know what the question was. I have a daughter, and I'm not her rat people. Like she's totally <laughs> into my her mom right now. So yeah. uh, I like that metaphor. But yeah, the uh, the Himalayan experience where you went oh off. yeah taking a break. So yeah, I just find that, and I think consistency builds habits. And I mean, like James Clear is a better writer about it as well. So is Nathan Barry about the building habits requires like actually being consistent with something which I think is great, especially with the, the writing. So committing to writing every day, I, I typically write like 30 minutes to an hour every single day. And I do that mostly because if I try seven times during a week, one of those seven times is probably going to be good enough to send to my mailing list. Then I have something to send to my mailing list. Whereas if I only wrote once a week, it might be crap. And then I would have to send that to my list and I would feel really bad and I'd feel awful about myself. But so I took a break because as do, much do, as I do like... Do you pick a time that, that you write every day? No, it's no. just kind of whenever. But you do it's a half hour even on Saturdays, Sundays. Yeah, yeah. You, I actually like the weekends better because people don't bug me as much. Do you free, <laughs> do you have a free topic that you write about or focused, or are you just like? Yeah, you know, I have a list. Like I have an idea scratch pad of just like one word, like just things to like get my brain going. And but based on that, yeah, I just kind of pick something or I pick something out of the air and just start writing about it. But yeah, I typically look at my scratch pad of ideas. So the reason I went dark was because as good as that consistency is, I needed a break from it. And I tend to need a break from it every year. December's a good time. So I don't I don't need to pedal, I don't need to hawk my wares in December when everybody else is because it's too noisy. So I just don't care. So I stop I typically stop writing around Black Friday and then I start in the beginning of the year. And I just find it's good because I find that the more that I do that, I find it, creativity requires space. And when there's less space, it's hard to be creative. Like if there's 10 seconds when you're waiting for something, like picking up your phone and like on your phone or you're in the can and you're on the phone or you're waiting at the bank, you're on your phone or you're always refreshing Twitter or the the Facebook or something like that. And I find that it doesn't, there's no space to think. There's no space for ideas to happen because you're always putting stimulus in front of you to react to. So I think the the breaks, the going dark, the like trekking through the Himalayas without the physical exertion is is important for like coming up with stuff. And I never, people are like, oh, what did you do? Like, did you have any goals for that? And I was like, that's not the point. The point is to just give myself the space. So as I need to think of things or as I just want to be creative or explore things, I can. I don't, if I set goals, it'd be counterintuitive. So then how was the urge to not log in, like, did you take the apps off your phone? Yeah. And then what if you're, so what I find is I'm writing or I'm working, I can't, without even knowing subconsciously, I'm refreshing email. I log out of Twitter and then I find myself logging back in without (laughs) even thinking about it. And then it's such a, it it interrupts me. 
But yeah. I think it's like at this point I've accepted that I have this addiction. And uh, how did you like refrain from from jumping back in? Um, well, uh, the the pro tip here is to move when you take a break. Oh, that's a great call. And then I, I had absolutely no time. Like I didn't I didn't realize that I hadn't even been on Twitter for like a week and a half because it's just like I was so bit like you're going through the same. Like I was so busy with moving that I didn't. All I had time to do was work on the move and then work my butt off to get my client work done. So I could get back to moving and packing and cleaning. So it's good to have the diversion. Exactly. I think they, they do that, I'm sure, with some other addictions. There's some kind of like, actually, no, for that, I think they like, it's a, like a religion in place of whatever the, the thing is. But that's another, that's another topic. Well, actually, just speaking of the addiction of cell phone and Twitter texting, I ended up, I changed the font size within my uh, Apple device for my mm. iPhone. It's like a blind person um, I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's a, they have it recently added in Apple iOS where you can adjust your font size. Yeah. Just, and, and accessibility. Accessibility. Up. That's right. And I did it because I felt like I don't, in 50 or six, like at 50 or 60 years old, I'm in the future. Am I going to have like squinting bad vision? Like we have no idea like what Steve Jobs has done. Exactly. Or the, um, what is it? My, my wife's in school for medicine. There's something called like Nintendo-itis, uh-huh. like for thumbs. Oh, yeah. For- for typing or playing on a controller, it's like actually Nintendoitis or it's Nintendoitis like a, or something like that. Like it's a like that's a thing. It's the modern day it's, tennis it's elbow. Up. Yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> tennis elbow used to be you were active, and now yeah, your thumbs. Exactly, one digit in your on your body is active, or two, I guess, because you have two thumbs. That's all you do, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so so I remember that when I played Nintendo, and I would have to like take a break. Did you, uh, so... Nintendinite, my wife's in the other room and I'm assuming can hear me because she just texted me, is Nintendinitis. Oh, tendinitis. That's great. And it can apply to like PlayStation, mobile games. Exactly. I don't think it's just... It's, I love it. It, like, it's, it's <laughs> it could be Xbox term. as well. Yeah. What's, it th- what's your wife's name? Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks, Lisa. Uh, we got a cameo by Lisa. You never know what to expect. Exactly. Um... So when you're, uh, you know, in the Himalayas, you're trekking, you're avoiding social, you're moving. What happens when you jump back in? Did you miss it initially? No, I was like, why the fuck am I even on Twitter? Like I logged back into Twitter. I looked at my timeline and I was just like, there's a bunch of assholes talking at each other. And then I logged out. Like I did that for probably four days before I tweeted something. But now it's been, what day is it today? Yeah, so it's been about a week and a half, and now I just feel like I'm kind of back in. Like it was the initial shock, like culture shock, like oh my god, the Western world is awful. And then <laughs> I had something to say, then I had something to sell, then I had something to say at people. Yes. So that's. But so what happens when you have something to say? Because at this point, yeah. you know, social media is great for distribution or talking at people, mm-hmm. but it's really like the content, what you care about, and the deeper messages and ideas. Yeah, and I try to keep it. I try to like obviously I have stuff to sell, but I still try to pepper that with like what I'm doing. I try to pepper that with actual conversation, it being just like a real human being. A friend of mine said that social media is kind of like a party where everybody's on cocaine, where nobody, everybody's talking, but nobody's listening. Yeah, no, totally. That's kind of what it feels like, and it's like this big uh, mixer, you know. Because oftentimes you're friends with people you haven't seen in ten years, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. what are you up to? I had no idea you had three kids, and I don't need to know. You know, it's yeah. o- it's overconsumption. Yeah, and I mean that's 
part of, partly why I'm not on Facebook or anything else. Like, Twitter is enough for me. And like, I have e- a, if you didn't have your email list, do you think it would be different? Because you have a you have a cultivated you know community of people that respond. Yeah. So my mailing list is what keeps like the bills paid. Like my ma- like to be honest, my mailing list funds everything that I do. Because those are the people that sign up for my list are interested in what I have to say. But then in turn, when I, I say things like 50 odd times a year to them and I provide articles, like the list is mostly articles, right? But a couple times a year, I might have something to sell. And those are the people that buy it. Like I recently, my podcast, instead of having sponsors, we did a bundle of awesome where it was incremental pricing. So every time somebody bought it, it went up by a dollar. And yeah, we had like 230 sales in the first couple of days for that. And that brought in a substantial amount of money that's going to keep like me able to do things like the podcast going. And all, all Jason and I did was tell our mailing list. We tried to get it on a bunch of news aggregator sites. It didn't work. We got kicked off a product hunt and Hacker News and all of that. But that doesn't matter because those are things that are out of our control. Aren't you well, selling we, products? Yes. And you're in the technology industry? Yes. What, what kind not, of not allowed on Product Hunt? Product Hunt is really hard to get. It, it, my podcast was on Product Hunt. Mm-hmm. I spent more time getting it on Product Hunt than I needed to, <laughs> to the point where like my friend and I were texting. I'm like, "This is the hardest thing I've done for my podcast." Yeah, and I've had like I've posted a Product Hunt since the very beginning, but then rules changed, and it's hard because I, I Ryan's in like I know Ryan. He's in a hard place where he has to be like the iron fist of editorial to keep the community good, to keep it full of like things that people still want to engage in because yeah. that's the power of Product Hunt. Like you get hunted, it's a big deal. Like you get a lot of traffic. I know this. I've done this for some of my other products, but yeah. So there's been too many bundles on there lately, and people were complaining. So even though we saw that there were other bundles on there, and that's why we were going to add ours. He was like, yeah, we can't really do that. And then we tried to add the product that does the incremental pricing. But since it's not launched, he was like, yeah, we can't do that because too many people launched coming soon pages and the community responded negatively. So it's just like we couldn't rely on it. And to tie it all back, we couldn't rely on any of that. All we could rely on was our Yourselves. Yourself. And our, yeah, and our mailing lists, okay. which is where the, the money's in the list, basically, for anybody that makes stuff. So if you have a term that describes selling directly to your audience, let me know because I'm trying, I have, this is such a common theme, especially for self-published authors and people, people launching their own podcasts and people, you know, VHX and self-distribution where, you know, YouTube creators and filmmakers are selling their films and maybe there's no term for it, but the whole sell to your people mentality is, it's where we are now and it's where we're all going to go. And the whole celebrity endorsement era is shit you know it's like i used to stu- i used to work at a startup called machinima and we had a lot of youtube gamers and uh they would work they would go to e3 and comic-con and these big trade shows and they were rock stars mm-hmm. and they had youtube followings you know from millions of subscribers and you just see them and their like conversions on social media were like 20 percent for like clicks and interactions and then Ashton Kutcher or like Lady Gaga that everyone is infatuated with, especially if they touch your product or they invest in your company. And they have for me too. Have they? Ashton Kutcher tweeted one of my uh, one of my articles once. How how was it? Good. I think I have like that was because I, I I started out as one of the first users of Medium.com, uh-huh. and it was an article on there, and I think I got like forty thousand reads oh, in no like way. a day. Yeah, it was nuts. 
none of that transferred to like I didn't sell more books that day. I didn't like nothing. Nothing happened other than a lot of. It's just like if you get on Reddit, if you get high up on Reddit, tons of people are going to look at your site. Nobody's going to do a damn thing with your site. Right. And so, <laughs> like, we're the number one. Our bundle is number one on the entrepreneur Reddit right now on the subreddit for entrepreneurialism, and we have I don't know thousands of people looking at the site. Not, not a single one of them is going to buy the bundle. It's just eyeballs, which if that's the metric you're after, which is completely meaningless and you're vapid, but if that's what you're after, that's a goal, goal unlocked. Yeah. But it, it doesn't ever translate to anything for, for that kind of stuff. Can you uh, explain the bundle, actually? Sure. So it's called the Bundle of Awesome, and it's priced. So it started out at a dollar, and now I think it's at $234. So every time somebody buys it, it goes up by a dollar. And what's in the bundle, obviously more important, is my course, the creative class, Jason's course on sponsorship, because he's basically the guy who invented sponsorship online for single-person brands. Like he's He had a million-dollar company doing it, so he's like the smartest guy in the world for that. There's also a course... Just getting more comfortable here. There's also yeah. a course that him and I made called Finish Your I like that you're book. getting comfortable while you're talking about the bundle. Oh, yeah. You know? Because you're like, there. I don't want to just promote myself, so Ooh. i got to be in the right frame. Exactly. So it's, so, so it's two courses from like... It's three. It's four, four courses, plus Jason has software that he just developed for making your own online course called Teachery. There's also, I don't know, four WordPress themes I made... 200 photo high-res photos that are license-free, a couple of our books, discounts for people like Ugmonk, which basically never have discounts, months off, free hosting, that kind of stuff. It's a whole bunch of wow. cool stuff, stuff that we like. So like. All the stuff that's in there is either our stuff or stuff that we like to use. And so what, what are the courses? Um, well, the creative class, which is my course on how to be a better freelancer, the Jason's class on sponsorship, um, Jason in my class on writing books. Uh, his girlfriend Carolyn is an amazing illustrator. She has a course on hand lettering, which is all the rage with the kids right now. Okay, and she's actually an amazing hand letterer. Cool. And then the software to actually make your own course. So what um, the books about writing your book or the courses about writing your book? Yes. Could, could you uh, walk us through that? Of course. Um, I, I think the whole course phenomenon is this untapped world that people listening. I don't think have any idea how awesome it is and how rewarding it can be to create a course that doesn't really exist in helping people. Yeah. And I think that, um, but it still requires the audience building piece. Like I know a lot of people that build courses and they have like two people sign up and then they're like, Oh, this didn't work. It's like, well, did you do anything other than make the content? They're like, Oh no. It's like, Oh, <laughs> maybe you're, you're missing something <laughs> really big right here. Right. But so I think the reason that courses that like Jason and I and other people make like Nathan Barry or Brennan Dunn or those kind of people, we spend so much time building our audience and being valuable to our audience that in turn, when we have things like online courses, people know us, they trust us, then they buy from us. There has to be like a progression to somebody opening their wallet and giving you cash money. It can't just be like, oh, Joe Blow has a course on this. Right. I'm going to take it. It's yep. like they need to hear your name seven times or more. They need to know that what you provide is valuable. And that's why like, we have things like the write and sell your damn book that I have is a free email course. You can just sign up and you get the course whenever you want it. Like, so how many, like, I, is it videos? Uh, no, it's just emails. The, oh, um, really? the free one, the, the one that you pay for that's in the bundle is 
kind of a take on that, but like in way more detail. I think it's like 20,000 more words and there's videos and there's bonuses. The free course that I have for book writing, which is all of the content that if you got the book right and sell your damn book, it's all that content, but you can get it like in an email series instead. And are the videos you talking or you interviewing people? Um, both. It's Jason and I talking about um, writing books in the specific, like we go through the specific steps and then we have interviews with people like our editors because our editors make us sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> and and help help they, us with them words they and te- such. They, they, they tee you up. Exactly. They're like, oh, this guy's a prophet. Well, uh, <laughs> he didn't write any of it. Exactly. They, yeah, I just tell Sherry, I, I'm writing a book on this. Finish it for me. <laughs> right. It's half done. <laughs> if you are helping people, giving value, how many years did it take to cultivate the email community? Um, cause people think you can just launch something now. I think that's like, I'm a marketer by trade. I work mm-hmm. with companies and they're like, Oh yeah, we can just drop this brand out there for like anything. It's viral. Yeah. It's viral. Say, right. Say viral. It's Let's viral. get a, get a celebrity in it. We'll go viral. Exactly. Ashton Kutcher. We'll tweet it. We need some hooks, some product hooks. We'll get Ashton Kutcher to tweet it. And I think, uh, we need a YouTuber. It's viral. Yeah. Exactly. Done. Done. So like that's that, whatever we just made is about to make a million dollars, get 2 million views. Front page of Reddit. <laughs> Kaching. Yeah, so I don't know. I was doing what I do with web design for about 14 or 15 years before I started writing about it. And the only reason that it took off so quickly was because I had 14 or 15 years of doing it. And initially, what kind of sold that book was the clients that I'd worked with for the last like 14, 15 years that loved me because I spent a lot of time doing good work for them promoting it. And uh, I'm lucky enough to work with a lot of like best-selling authors and people with audiences. What type of, uh, what type of clients? Um, mostly, um, like online entrepreneurs that do uh, like all of their business on the internet. So like, and it's kind of niche, like people in that industry know these people, but then people outside the industry are like, I don't know who that is. Like Danielle Laporte, Marie Forleo, Chris Carr, those, those sorts of people. They're in this world that you live in. Exactly. and that's like, the niche that I that's the niche that I really cultivated. I started out working in pro sports, but then I realized I hate sports and athletes, so I kind of like tossed that out the window. Yeah. So but that, then that, I found, that makes sense. Yeah. So then I found this and this is more what I like to do. But then yeah, I spent over a decade doing that and you talk to like any millennial and like you spent over a decade working on stuff, like nuts to that. Yeah. I mean it's so the the fact that you can people look at you maybe and say, oh, he can sell courses. It's not that easy. No. Know? And then since and you, then, you, I've you, spent years building my audience. I spent years writing articles for my audience. I've spent years writing emails for my audience. Like, I do so much for free for my audience that they, in turn, when I do have things to sell, I buy it, right? And, so, and so you, you've earned it. Yeah, I think so. It's not something you just, you know, cultivated yesterday. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 years of work, not like days or weeks. And then you you provide value that they get something from. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot about listening to my audience. Like I do calls with people on my newsletter, or I do surveys, or I I listen. It's such a weird it's such a weird thing to do. Is like listening to people, what they say, and what they talk about, and the words and language that they use. Like when I'm writing a sales page for a book or a course. I don't like just sit there and then pull something out of my ass and be like, that's the sales page. It's like, I do research. 
I listen. Yeah. I see how people talk about the pains that they have with what I'm doing to fix it with the course or the book. And then I take their words and use it, use it on the sales page. So it's more than just like, I'm just going to make a course because I think this is cool. And then I'm going to write what I think is cool for the sales page. It's like, good luck with that. So you're like <laughs> using the crowd and the community to help yeah. make content and make it better. Yeah. The, the listening. You are so groundbreaking. <laughs> I mean, you listen exactly. to people. You've Screw convers- you, Dale Carnegie. This yeah. is all me. These are the seven habits of listening. <laughs> I, I hate the term self-help, but there's got to be... I, I, so my whole thing is I'm trying to invent these new terms. They, I can never invent them because they have to come naturally. Yeah. But there's something about the world, even that I'm entering now with the podcast and the book, where it's like you're trying to help people. Like you're kicking people in the ass. I'm trying to say... <laughs> Shit's not as hard as you think it is. Yeah. Try, like that's, that's the thing about podcasting. If I had even a penny for everyone who's emailed or asked me a question about how to start, like, oh, my two friends are funny. You know, we want to have a podcast together. Or we, I'm really smart about gaming. I want, but they, people never follow through. It's like this barrier of entry. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you do a great job, you know, with your books about getting people motivated. But the, how, how do you describe like the self-help element of it? that you're like empowering people, but you're not really doing this in a way where you're like the Tony Robbins, you know, approach of masterminding things. I, I, I mean, I don't his know. New how, book, his new book's actually pretty good. I hear, but he's about, changed a lot. I feel like his, he's, it's, I started reading it as kind of like a joke to myself, but then I was reading it and I was like, this guy is fucking smart. Like he's Tony Robbins. Like obviously he's smart. Right. But the, the way that he writes and the way that he approached money, which is what the book's about, is like, shit like this makes so much sense like i almost feel bad like just sitting there like agreeing like yes tony robbins yes this is awesome <laughs> i went to i went actually went to e3 a few years ago and yeah. he was at the convention center and the line down the, the la convention center was a mile long and people were really into it to the point where i felt like it may have been like a cult yeah like i'm not gonna get up on my chair and like throw my arms around or shit like that but it's like i was reading the book and it's okay like, I'm yes. going to read I'm going to read it then. Yeah. Cuz he's done a lot of podcasts. He's yeah. been a, he's been a guest on a lot of shows. <clears throat> and uh what what frustrates me about not necessarily Tony Robbins but people that say obvious stuff that you then suddenly they get credit for. Like he said something like if you want to get smart, talk to four experts and you'll become an aspiring expert. And you're like my dad and mom and grandma, they've lived this philosophy. They're they talk to smart people about a subject matter. But then now people are quoting him. Yeah. That's the whole self-help element I don't really like is we're like, well, this guy does, he records interviews in his car when he's thinking. Like, that's what people do sometimes. They think out loud and they talk to people in the car and they, you know, want to make n- mental notes. So, but, yeah. you're, but you're, you're not really that world. You're a rat guy. And, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the way that I kind of approach it is what I know works for me. And I know that I learn in a very different way than other people. And I like to, I find that I'm going to stick with things if I can do it in a way that works for me. So my biggest thing with the way that I write, and it could be considered self-help, and I almost got kicked off of uh, Kickstarter for one of my Kickstarter projects. They were like, we don't want any self-help. I'm like, ah, oh, wait a sec, because this isn't that. It's close, but it's not that. But I, I'm always a big advocate of people figuring shit out themselves, because everybody has the capacity to do that. People can figure stuff out for themselves and people can do things in their own way that works for them that doesn't work for somebody else. Like for me writing, I can write about rats and it becomes a super popular article. 
I, if you did that, it may not be. If somebody else did that, it could be way more popular. If Tony Robbins wrote about rats, it would be way bigger than, yeah. than what I write, right? Yeah, so, I, I, I would have read it and really liked it. And Exactly. I was just sitting there like, yes, Tony <laughs> Robbins, rats. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm always, I always kind of advocate that people have the ability to think critically for themselves and people have the ability to do things in a way that works for them. Because a lot of people, a lot of like this internet thing right now is about emulation. Like, oh, so-and-so launched a product in this way. It worked. I'm going to do it. It's going to work. And it's never, that's not the case. If that was the case, everybody would do things one way and nobody would need to think about launches or marketing or anything like that. It's like, even if something worked for you one time, it, it may not work a second time. So you have to think about it and you have to think about what is going to work for you in this specific situation at this specific time for this specific audience and go for it. So if someone asks you for advice, then you can't necessarily give them advice, but maybe would you tell them an anecdote or a story about how you went through a process or? Yeah, I mean, this one time I was sitting around with Tony Robbins and we were shooting the shit about, <laughs> uh, no. You were on Necker Island. It was you, Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, and exactly. a bunch of rats. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, most of the time, <laughs> it's figuring out what the person's roadblocks are. Yeah. You're getting the mental picture of that island. I totally am. Yeah. awesome. <laughs> I wish I was there. Exactly. Ah. Actually, I have like nice natural light from where I'm sitting now. I could be on a desert island, except it's cloudy, and I'm in the Pacific Northwest. And that wasn't your wife giving us the answer about Nintendo-itis. It was Tony Robbins. Exactly. Who I call Lisa, which is just weird, but yeah, I mean you're you're it's, tight. It's a thing Tony and I have. You're tight. You're a, you're a ghost author for his book. Exactly. I think that. Uh, so then, what's the uh, podcast all about? Because it's it it is education, and uh, it's two white guys talking. Exactly about being, but you're talking about making stuff and doing what you do. Yeah, we're talking about, it's called Invisible Office Hours because a lot of people that we know, like even you and I, we don't really have offices per se. Like you're sitting in a room in your house, I'm sitting in a room in my house. We could be sitting in any room in our house or sitting at a coffee shop or co-working space. And that's just the way that things go now. Like I was looking at a survey that like Elance and Freelancers Union put out and there's like 34 million people in the U.S. alone that kind of work gigs or consider themselves freelancers. And it's like, it's a thing now. When I started working for myself in the 90s, it was, I got like, people were telling me like, oh, well, what do you do for a job though? Like, yeah, you work for yourself, whatever, fun hobby. What do you, it's like saying you're a musician, which I also am, which people still reply the same way. Like, well, what do you do for a job though? Yeah. So, but now it's like a lot of people work for themselves. A lot of people are freelancers. A lot of people don't really have an office. And we really talk about everything that kind of surrounds work, not necessarily the work itself, but like fear and confidence and, and being criticized over and over again because of the internet and everybody's a dick on the internet. So things like that is kind of like the, the crux of the show. And it's just really me and Jason talking to each other. We don't have guests or anything. We're pretty antisocial. Yeah. But <laughs> we you, just uh, talk to each other. You, you, but you're social with one another. Exactly. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Did you, so then if you, uh, who, who are some of your podcast hosts that you look up to or that you at least listen to outside of your, yourself? Um, I listen to the Fizzle guys because Chase Reeves is pretty funny. Uh -huh. um, my buddy Adam Clark has a wicked podcast. He actually has a course about podcasting, which is really cool. That's coming out soon. So his podcast, um, Gently Mad, or he has a new one. It may be called something different. I don't know. Sorry, Adam. But like, he just interviewed Seth. Like, he had me on the show, and then like the next guest was like Seth Godin. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so like, he has. I don't think he's had Tony Robbins yet. Not but, yet. 
it's coming. Like I'm just going to tell him, like, dude, have Tony Robbins on the show. And like next week, he'll be interviewing Tony Robbins. Now that's on my bucket. I got to get Tony Robbins on my show only because of this conversation. I'll, I'll make an exception, and I hope Jason agrees that the only guest we'll ever have on the show is Tony Robbins. Let's have a race to see who can. Done. I mean, you're on. Done. I, I just had a guest. I interviewed uh, Tucker Max, the writer. Yeah. And uh, he. Everybody was, hates him. Everyone hates him. And <laughs> he, uh, he was like, you can't stump me. He's like, I don't get stumped very easily. I've been media trained for years. So like, and, and the conversation, I totally stumped him. And I asked him like to tell a story about, I hope they serve beer in hell. And yeah. he now is a kid and he's like, I can't even think that way. I'm totally, ah, bah. And he, I was like, I stumped you. So <laughs> I may get Tony Robbins on before uh, you even know it. There you go. Yeah, Ryan Holiday's books are actually really good, who I know Tucker worked with. Yeah. His uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator. Yeah, it's exactly. Re- it's a really good book. And, and then actually speaking of marketing is you self-market in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I've turned down publishing deals because I'd rather do my own stuff for my books. Do you sell uh, at nine ninety nine mostly on Amazon? No, I think I sell some of the books are six ninety nine, some of the books are three ninety nine. I don't care. One of my books is pay what you want. It's not even on Amazon because you can't do that on Amazon because Amazon are a bunch of capitalist whores. Yeah, they're awful. <laughs> I actually really like them though. For well, they're good at enabling. They're... Yeah, they're good at enabling self publishers. It's a love-hate relationship. Yeah, you have to play within their little system and their ecosystem, but their ecosystem is, like, that's how books sell now, is through Amazon. So They're they're the publisher. You know, they're like the Simon & Schuster of this era. Exactly, and they mark up everybody's stuff, but then, yeah, and they take a large percentage of that, but then you get to play where everybody else plays. Like, I can sell books right beside Tony Robbins' book, and that's, like, how it goes. And that's cool, I mean. Yeah. Because we're going to get them on our shows. So you promote, you create content essentially you have an editor and then you have a co-host or your friends you bounce ideas off of mm-hmm. so your creative process really is self-dependent really it, yeah. you know, you're like running a one-man startup yeah i'm basically i'm an introvert so i basically live in my own head anyways but i do think it is important even for introverts to have that like i have a mastermind group as well who justin jackson who i know you've interviewed previously oh, yeah. he's in my mastermind group along with a guy named jared uh, drysdale and so we bounce ideas off each other basically every week, or I criticize their ideas every week. So you're, you're a uh, disagreeable giver. <clears throat> exactly. Have you heard that term before? Yeah. So you're totally that, where people can't really figure you out. Like, is he a taker? Is he a giver? Because he's disagreeable. But in the end, you give people whatever they need to hear, whether they want to hear. Yeah, I'm a helpful asshole. You're a helpful asshole. Yeah, it's another way of saying it. <laughs> so uh, mastermind groups, then how, many, how big is the group? Just the three of us. Just Three, three white guys. Do you actually call it a mastermind group or is it just like three dudes talking? No, we call it a mastermind group. My, my wife calls it a masters of the universe group. And yeah. she, she thinks that I'm probably She-Ra. <laughs> yeah, princess of power. Exactly. It's better than uh, Skeletor. But then exactly. if you, or the Puma. I can't remember what the Puma's name was. Oh, the Puma's great. Yeah. Or, um, or uh, I'm just blanking on every name. But uh, I'm stumped now too. So if you anybody under thirty, you'll be like, "What the hell are these guys talking yeah, about?" Yeah, right dude, now? you guys are old. Um, <laughs> and then if you got if you have the mastermind group, because I feel like that's such a thing now that you read bloggers. So a big a big opportunity is people self publish their their stats and their their earnings. Mm-hmm. Do you do that? Nope. So that's a big thing. Mastermind groups is a bigger thing. Is that something you did intentionally, or did it happen that you fell into it? Um. Justin asks, and he's one of the few people I don't dislike. 
So, and I figure I always thought that it would be a good idea to have like a group of people. And now I'm part of a few Slack chats as well that are people that do kind of what I do where we bounce ideas off of each other sort of thing. So I kind of like that where sometimes like the latest article that I'm publishing on this Sunday for my newsletter, I sent to Justin and Jared first and like, Hey, am I full of shit with this article? Like, I don't, I wrote it. I was super excited. I read it the next day. I was like, what the hell is this? And it's just like, I just need your honest opinion. And that's really why the group exists. So we can give each other because all three of us are always launching something. Yep. And so we just, I just like having like an honest unfiltered opinion from these guys, like before I release it, it's just like having an editor. Like I have an editor mostly for confidence reasons because I know if Sherry has read it, my editor, Sherry Hansen, I know if she's read it and she's smarter than I am, if she's gone through it and made it sound as good as she can, then I feel confident putting it out there because I know people aren't going to be like, what the hell is this? Cause it's not just that she like fixes the, my broken style of writing English. She helps with like making sure the ideas are clear or making sure it flows from start to finish or has some sort of arc all the way through it. So I think for things like that and for bouncing ideas off of people in a mastermind group or masters of the universe group, or when you're talking to Tony Robbins, like it doesn't matter as long as there's somewhere where you're getting a different opinion about something before you put it out into the public you can be a lot more confident about what you're putting out into the public. I feel like oftentimes you're in the, like we're freelancers working from home, have our own gigs. You're in a vacuum mm-hmm. and you're really by yourself. And like I talk to my friends about what I'm going through and they care, but they don't, they have day jobs and you know, they, they can relate and they're interested, but only to a certain point mm-hmm. where I have like friends that like, I think I get to the point where they're exhausted. Cause they're like, dude, I don't know. Like, cause they don't think this way. They're, more like, okay, I have a traditional job that I can make a salary for. So mm-hmm. even my podcast, like I hired someone to help me edit the podcast because yeah. I was in such a bubble. I didn't know if it was great or not. And it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, same. We have an editor for and an engineer for this season of our podcast. It actually sounds really good. It's Jason and I don't know what we're doing with podcasting stuff. Like Rode sent us some nice microphones, but past that, it's just like, and we hit record. That's it. Done. But yeah, now we have an engineer and he he makes us sound good. And where are you guys based? He's You're in Canada and where is he? Yeah, I'm in the woods on an island on the west coast of Canada and he is in Florida but soon moving to San Diego. So at least we'll be in the same time zone. So our, our, man, our man love can be closer. Do you, do you guys, did your man love uh, get created online or yeah. were you... You, he uh, read Write and Sell Your Damn Book and emailed me. And then he just kept emailing me. And then eventually I was just like, fuck, dude. <laughs> no, just kidding. He emailed me and then we started talking. Then we realized we had a lot in common. And then we realized we actually liked talking to each other, which doesn't happen a lot for me. And we were like, well, he's always like, hey, Paul, I have this crazy idea. Like, do you want to be part of it? And I'm always like, no. And then I think about it, I'm like, actually, that actually sounds like a good idea. So we started a podcast and now we're starting like a software little thing as well. So, I mean, but I like working with him because his skill set, he's so extroverted and he's so good at getting out there. And I would rather just like sit in my house in the woods and do my shit. So our personalities complement each other. Our skill sets complement each other. So that's been really important for the way that we work together. Because, yeah, I've worked for myself for like almost 20 years. I've worked by myself for that long too. It's hard to really, like I don't play well with others and it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I hear you. I, uh, well, I, I like people. I probably would be more like Jason. Um, so I need to find someone like you. Yeah, and, he's uh, like, let's go to this conference. I'm like, I don't go to conferences. Yeah, yeah you're like, <laughs> fuck conferences. Yeah. Five years, 10 years, 
are you going to do this? Do you think you'll, you would ever go to a full-time job again? I'm not employable at this point. Like, dude, I got like hand tattoos. Like nobody's going to fucking hire me. Yeah. But as well, like I've worked for myself for so long. Like I don't know how I would. You could work at McDonald's. They don't I care. Could, I could. Do you have to put Band-Aids on <laughs> to cover them? I remember. I, I've, been, I've been vegan for so long. That, like, I remember going to fast food restaurants and people would have like Band-Aids covering their ears. Their earrings. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand that. Would I yeah. need to put Band-Aids on everything? They, they would just give you gauze tape. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, like I don't think I I don't think I would be employable and I feel like that's, that's kind okay. of a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I do get job offers every now and then to like go cuz I was a creative director at an agency before I sort of worked for myself but this was like in the 90s. But I still get offers to like do that at at like agencies and stuff and it's like it's interesting but like how much time do you get off? And like well you start at 2 weeks. It's like I took 2 weeks off like the last 2 weeks. It's just like I don't and as well, like I sometimes only work six months of the year doing web design and then I work six months of the year doing all my other stuff or I take four months off to travel with my wife or something like that. So I've kind of, like I've gotten used to the lifestyle that I have made for myself, which obviously like I'm not drinking Cristal on a yacht or anything like I yet have exactly we have a pretty humble life, but like it's a life that I've been very careful in constructing. So I like I would never do something like hire an employee because then I would have responsibility. I would feel like I owe this person like consistent work to do to get money. And yeah. so I would never like I know a lot of people freelancing is like a stepping stone to growing a company and it's never been that for me. I don't I did that because I wanted to construct a very conscientious lifestyle for myself and for my for like my family. So do you think this freelance system that you've worked in and you teach about, you write about is, is something that like, as we get more, uh, online and you know, interconnected, cause you don't really have to be working in New York anymore to work in New York. Like 37 signals, you know, is great about like impressing upon people. Like why move to San Francisco? If you can live in Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah. And- everybody I know that lives in San Francisco right now is leaving San Francisco. Yeah. Think- <laughs> it's too, like it's too expensive. LA is the same way. People are going to Austin or, you know, smaller market cities that are still have, have yeah. something to them. Yeah. And then Austin's going to get too expensive and people are going to leave and they're, they're going to end up in like Des Moines or Fargo. And then yeah. those are going to get too expensive. And then what the fuck do you do when Fargo is too expensive to live? I spent the first 15 years of my life in Des Moines. All right. There and you go. It's, and uh, it's now like invaded by hipsters. <sighs> and there's a startup community there and... You know, grass-fed, organic, biodynamic burgers are sold. That's like, Omaha is like that, which yeah. is insane. Like Omaha is such a like hip, like tech city. Right That's great. Now. I live in the like I live in the woods on the ocean on an island. Like I could not get further from like any kind of like. There's no scene. There is one store, and it's the grocery store, post office, hardware store for the whole area. That like I live in unincorporated land. And so if this started, if, like if there was a tech scene here, I would, I would probably leave and go further. So that's incredible. You've cultivated your business just living on an island. Yeah, well, I've moved around a lot, but that's where I, I live right so now. So you and Richard Branson really have so much in common. Totally. I mean, it's not my island. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not in the yes. Caribbean. You have winter. No. Well, not much of winter. It's like, I don't know what it is in America, but it's 12 degrees here today. It's probably like 70. In LA, it's great. Yeah. Um, so then now like the freelancing economy of what, what do you, what do you call that world that like you, I know you talk about freelancing, but 
I don't want to attach this to word economy to it. How do you describe like where that industry is, that life is going with like people working and doing it on their own, not having full-time jobs? Yeah, I think it's just like, I guess if it, were, if it was an, an economy, it would be like the gig-based economy where people aren't working for somebody full-time all the time. They're working for somebody for a bit, then working for somebody else, then working for somebody else, and maybe doing a project for this person, then a project for someone else, maybe a project for themselves. Pretty much every freelancer I know has a side project where they're building something because regardless of who your clients are, they're never going to push you as hard as you're going to push yourself. So everybody that I know that works for themselves that isn't doing a, like a project for themselves, I think is doing themselves and their creativity and their skill a disservice. Like everybody should have a side project. Even if it's not like, even if the ultimate goal isn't to monetize it, if it's just for fucking fun, do, do that. But like push yourself, push your skills, push your creativity because clients are going to hire you because they saw the work you've done in the past and they just want more of that. There's like that, that's how it works. Your portfolio is more, showing what you can do in the future than what you've done in the past. Whereas when you start your own stuff and do your own projects, you're, you're pushing the boundaries. You're kind of like seeing how far you can like push the bubble before it bursts. I don't know if that would be a good thing or not. I kind of lost the analogy in my own head. But, but, but you're on an island, so you've yeah. got, a, you got an excuse to go farther. And I'm drinking water out of a mason jar, mason so jar. I guess I'm a hipster too. Dude, you should move to Des Moines or Omaha. <laughs> it says Ma on my shirt. Look, Ma, I'm a designer. Oh, dude, this is incredible. <laughs> I thought I was cool wearing a hoodie and a, a Maui t-shirt. but Somebody uh, said, I, I survive. I haven't bought a t-shirt in years. Like I, I survive by somebody, like get, by people in companies giving me t-shirts. Oh, free, free swag. <laughs> yeah. I'm too cheap to buy shirts now. I just get all my I'm free shirts. You, I'll send you some shirts. Yes. Um, I don't even care what's on them. Yeah, I'll send you my shirts I was going to give away. There you go. And they're used and broken in. But uh, so then the gig economy, you know, even now in the U.S. with like Obamacare that everyone is controversial about, but there are elements of healthcare going in the direction where people can not be dependent on a job they have to keep that they don't like. I live in Canada, so healthcare has been free for since I think 68 yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But we're dirty socialists, so. Yeah, I almost didn't book you. Um, I didn't exactly. want to hear your socialist My doctor wears flip-flops. It's, it's yeah. awful. That's like socialism. a stock t-shirt or something. I don't know. It's, the, it's, it's evil. Yeah. Um, so then the gig economy, though, is great because it empowers people to be you know, inspired to do what they want to do. Maybe you don't make as much money at first, but over time, the long game is what you're playing. Yeah, and it can really be focused on other metrics than than economy or money as well. Like when I started, my goal was to make a million dollars a year, and I worked my ass off to try to get that. I didn't even get there, but I realized after about six months that I didn't even care about money. Like for me, freedom is more important. Like I feel like William Wallace and Braveheart, I should have like half my face painted blue. But like I would rather be able to choose my day than just make all of the money. Like I don't, yeah. money's obviously important. I have mortgage and rats to feed and stuff like that. But I'm not, mo- like it doesn't motivate me at, at, at all. I know I need to make enough to live, but I, ultimately I, like I can make enough of it and then go do something else that as long as I have the freedom to make those choices, that's what kind of keeps me going. That's what keeps me motivated. And I think for a lot of freelancers, it's finding out what that driving force is, what the intention is to move forward. And if it's money, awesome, then that's your intention. I have no problem with that, you capitalist bastard. But it can be whatever you want. Really. Yeah. And then that kind of helps keep it keep going. Like a lot of people start out and they have goals that maybe aren't 
even their goals, like even when you're starting out when you're younger, it's like the goals of your parents or the goals of your teacher. It's like when you start to find your own alignment with your own values and intentions, then if you're more likely to build something that you actually want to keep working at instead of just like, I'm bored of this. Like, what am I going to do now? Kind of thing. So aligning to your own values and intentions, I think is obviously the, the most important thing. That's you talk about values in your books and finding yeah. like your values and aligning them. So yeah, there, uh, there's a lot of people, I think that this, they're transitioning into this. Cause I feel like most people don't know if this is out there. The majority of people think that there's only one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, I think younger people now are figuring it out that they, <clears throat> can't go into traditional jobs anymore because they're not they're not there so you got to create your own stuff yeah and people are always like well it's it's unstable to freelance or whatever but it's like it depends how you do it and how you set it up and how smart you are not about just doing the like heads down doing the work is a bad way to freelance you need to be cognizant of all the other things going on like the marketing and the like getting clients and all of that, you can't just, and reaching an audience, you can't just be focused a hundred percent on the work. Cause it's more than that. And I've seen people like I've done what I do for like 16, 17 or more years. And I know people who've worked for massive companies that have just been laid off. And it's like, there's, well, there's job security. It's like the job security is an illusion. It's in your head. Yeah. Yeah. The whole job providing mythology about like job creation, helping the economy. I mean, it's, self-serving yeah and it's it's from it it's a remnant of a different era yeah like in the 50s i'm sure that was the case you work the same job until you retire you get a watch a massive retirement package and and you'd be set and you'd have enough money from your savings to put your kids to school it doesn't it, like it doesn't work that way companies where they've had employees like i don't know anybody that's worked for the same company for 10 years like yeah. I, I can't even i can't think of a single person that's like 30s or 40s that has, that that does that because that's not the way that it really works anymore. So, in some ways, do you think the content and the the world that you live in is helping people to kick themselves in the pants to figure that out? Yeah, and to really make what they want to make in terms of not only like the products or whatever that they build, but just like the life that they want. Are and most I of your think- readers actually like product people or? Are they designers? How, how would you describe your audience? Um, most of them want to or already make something. But some of them, like I made a joke about dentists last week in my newsletter. I think like six dentists who are on my mailing list emailed me. And I was like, what the hell? Like Six dentists? But every single one of those dentists I talked to, and because the talking to your audience and listening to your audience is obviously important, but they're all like they do dentistry, but then they also like one of them has a company that's building software for other dental practices because he's figured out how to make his dental practice run really smoothly with the smallest amount of overhead and administration. So he's building software. So he's a, he's like a software as a service guy and a dentist. So yeah, right. I think a lot of my audience is that where they're either thinking about building something or they are building something. And uh, so essentially like you're giving people the skill set that they can use that's not really validated by like a Harvard or a college degree or a diploma, but it's like making something that you can just show someone, I did this, you know, I'm good, I'm proficient at this skill, like almost booking their own opportunities. Yeah, pretty much, because I think ideas are worthless. So I think the the only thing worth a grain of salt is executing them. 
and taking them and making them into something because everybody has like, I heard so many times like, oh, I had that idea like 20 years ago. Why didn't I do it? Yeah, it's like good for you. Look how how much money you got from having that idea and doing nothing with it. And so you think that the action, the tactics, the actual execution, the product management part of what we really need to find to, to separate people that do it or don't? Exactly. And it doesn't take balls or lady balls to have an idea, but it, it definitely takes those to put something out into the world publicly. Like I know from launching my own stuff and getting flack for it sometimes, it's just like, it's difficult and stressful and awesome all at the same time to release something into the world. Right. But once you do it, you get reps under your belt, it's habits being formed and Exactly. It's, okay. it's trial by fire, but it's worth the burns pretty much. I love it. Well, I'm, so I'm writing this book about podcasting, working title, The Influencer Podcaster. I don't love it, but I'll keep it as that. 10,000 words, case studies around great podcasters, may even take some quotes from you, put them in there. Then I'm going to do a three-video accompaniment. So you buy mm-hmm. the book, you get videos of me about how to start your podcast, a marketing tip sheet for launching your podcast, and, a, and then another free guidebook for like writing out goals for your podcast. No idea what I'm going to price it at. going to launch it in March, but I got to put it out there because I can't yeah. wait a year to like publish a big, bigger book. I, you know, I, I gotta, even if no one buys it, it's out there. Yeah. Some know. of my best, it's so funny. Like books don't have to be any length now. Like I've written some, I think my last book was like 1600 words and that's, done really well and it's like book people have no attention span anyways if you write a hundred thousand word book yeah. like nobody's gonna read it everybody's just gonna say that it's just like war and peace like who who reads the whole thing or anna karenina it's like you read the first little bit but yeah man this has been really inspiring cool um, thank you i love talking about this kind of stuff especially because the so our audience is a lot of people that are aspirational want to do it themselves and then people that work in the media landscape and want to understand like where things are going you know yeah marketing executives ad execs yeah um so this has been great. Uh, do you, one final question is, if someone wants to visit Canada, where, you know, where do you send them to go to Vancouver, they go to Toronto, and, and what's like a good cuisine for Canada? Like, you know, I would, like if you, let's say you go to Texas, you're like, eat barbecue. Do you know what poutine is? No. All right, so it's basically French fries, cheese, and gravy. That's it? That's it. It sounds really, really like comfort food in the winter. It's Canada. Yeah, like I true. live somewhere where there's no snow, but most of Canada has snow in the wintertime. Poutine. So, poutine, yes. Okay. And where do you recommend people go? What's, uh, what's your favorite place to visit that's underrated? I would say Vancouver Island, which is where I live. But I, it's crazy. Just like I live pretty much on the ocean. The house didn't cost a million dollars to live on the ocean. I can see fucking killer whales on the ocean. That's amazing. It's like, I, I'm looking at a tree that's probably a couple hundred years old. Like there's massive cedars and Douglas firs and that kind of stuff. So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of odd. You can go surfing here. Like it's not like, I know a lot of people in LA still wear wetsuits even in the summer, but like you have to wear a wetsuit to surf here, but that's what still. you have to do everywhere. Like in Northern California. Yeah. Except if you're Canadian and you go to like LA or San Diego, then everybody else is wearing wetsuits, but the Canadians, that's how you can probably tell the Canadians out in the lineup. They're so psyched. Thanks so much for uh, joining the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me on. This Do this again talk. at some point down the line. Yeah. I, I like when people don't mind my uh, non sequiturness. Dude, I'm the king of non sequiturness <laughs> and this is a business podcast. Thanks dude. All right. Cheers. 
that was Paul Jarvis. Awesome conversation. We went on some fun tangents. And by fun, I mean completely random and awesome. I think he's a straight shooter. He's a giver, but he's also a disagreeable giver, which we talked about on the show. Those types of folks are always helpful to have in your life because they will be a a shooter that's straight, a straight shooter. They'll be a straight shooter, won't mince words, and will tell you exactly how they feel, which you don't always get. And sometimes it's invaluable to have friends and confidants and you know colleagues around you who you consider that you can trust that won't give you uh, filtered opinions and they'll just tell you how they see it so his book everything i know is highly recommended i also love his book um how to how to finish your damn book is what it's called or how to write your damn book but anyway whatever it's called check it out he's hysterical he swears a lot but he's so uh he's so dead on and he actually helped me motivate and create structure around my book so uh, wanted to just let you know I have a few great shows coming up. I have Tucker Max coming on in the next few weeks. He was a really fun interview. I'm also doing a series on YouTube where I've talked to YouTubers about what is a YouTuber. I've talked to uh, agents that work with YouTubers. I'm trying to find more about the YouTube ecosystem for how to gain subscribers, for how to create a community around your brand, and to how to get to a level where you can actually make a living from it. So I'm fascinated by YouTube. We'll be getting that out very soon. And also wanted to throw out a few people outside of Tony Robbins that I would like to get on my show. And uh, I think it's good to throw things in the universe because sometimes they're more than likely to happen. I'd love to get uh, Katerina Fake on the show. She actually went to my high school. She's the founder of Flickr. So she would be phenomenal. If anyone knows her, please let me know, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com. She founded Flickr, which was a pioneering social network, was acquired by Yahoo way back in the day. So she's someone I would love to talk to. And uh, Brain Pickings, Maria Popova, I think is her name. would love to get her on the show. I think her book curating is awesome. She's really inspiring. If you haven't checked out brainpickings.com, it's a great resource for actually creating a book list. And in this era of someone who's writing a book, I, I have more value for people that appreciate reading. So those are two people that I'd like to put out into the uh, universe that I'd like to talk to. And finally, uh, the feedback I'm getting from people has been wonderful. So thank you for the emails, the tweets, it definitely goes to my heart because I'm doing this as a passion project. As I've mentioned before, I've quit my job as a marketing executive to start the podcast and have been doing it for over a year now. I'm writing the books. Those are coming closer to launch. I'm getting products. I'm actually going to South by Southwest and hosting a meetup for building your own platform. I'm mentoring down there. So I can't wait to get back to South by, but I feel like I'm giving a lot to the community and getting a lot back in return. And I can't wait to start getting some products out there to show you everything I've learned and through the process of the podcast. It's been eye-opening and a wonderful, amazing experience. So enough about me. I'm, I'm completely babbling. And if you're still listening to this, I will end that part of this conversation right now. But in the meantime, please leave a review on iTunes. Would love it if, if you did that and subscribe, as well as uh, you know help my guests. you know Buy their products if you can, if you're interested. But uh, anyway... Love uh, to head over to Duke Zeberts for some chicken in the pot.